Welcome to the Outthinkers podcast. Plug into fascinating minds and breakthrough ideas that are transforming industries and the world. I am your host, Kyan Krippendorf, founder of Outthinker Networks, a global think tank comprised of corporate strategists, innovators, and entrepreneurs shaping the future of business. If this describes you, join us at outthinker.com. Let's dive into this week's episode. Employees are the keepers of our CX promise as a brand. You want to say we're going to be the best widget company in the world. Here is our values and vision statement. Here's our strategy. Let me just say to you that that strategy one pager in that vision and values statement and your tagline does not show up and solve a customer problem. It does not show up and sell something to a customer. It does not show up and design a product. People do that not the strategy deck that gets you funding from your board. That's not who does it, right? Unfortunately, we've spent so much money on the customer that we have sort of left the employee behind. That was Tiffany Bova, global growth evangelist, Salesforce business strategist, author, and keynote speaker. We were lucky enough to have Tiffany join us for a second time on this podcast. And in this episode, she brings us a wealth of much needed new perspective. Where our last episode with Tiffany focused on how to maximize your company's growth IQ. She laid out the 10 paths to growing your company. Now we shift our focus to the internal movers of this growth, employees and the employee experience, also known as EX. Tiffany's career, as you just heard in the highlighted clip, taught her that without the people who make the customer experience, you can only get so far in fulfilling your brand promise. In her newest book, The Experience Mindset, she dives into how to complement your CX or customer experience by revamping your EX. In this podcast, we discuss the specific measurable impact EX can have on your future financial results. How management often not only neglects the employee experience, but actually makes it worse by offloading customer stress onto employees. What kinds of metrics you can set around EX, which could often run parallel to and complement your CX metrics. Ladies and gentlemen, Tiffany Bova. Tiffany, it is so great to have you back on the podcast. Thanks for being here again. I'm honored to be back a second time or maybe third. Second? Second, second, second. second. Okay. Yeah. Love to have you back a third. You do such interesting work and each of your research projects really flip the script on how to look at growth. And so when I started listening to your book and becoming familiar with it, I was like, this is what we need to talk about. I want to get into the book and I want to get into the employee experience, but I want to start off with two questions that I've already asked you. Let's see if you have different answers to it. The first is, if you really know me, you know that. How would you complete that? Well, the last time I probably said I'm from Hawaii. And then, of course, it would be I love the ocean. Very close to Hawaii. So let's say that. Do you surf? Yes. You know, I don't surf as much and as well as I used to, obviously, because I spend a majority of my time in Los Angeles and I don't get in this water. I am an ocean snob. (laughs) (laughs) I am an ocean snob. I guess that's something you wouldn't know about me. But yeah, I don't surf as much as I used to. Okay, great. And then I also asked you this question before. Does it matter what you said before? I just want to know if it's evolved. What is your definition of strategy? That's a tougher one. You know, I would say now I feel like this is a Jeffrey Moore statement. Crossing the chasm, Jeffrey Moore. Yes, crossing the chasm, Jeffrey Moore, who wrote the foreword to my first book, Growth IQ. 
he talks a lot about this crisis of prioritization. And I think strategy for me at its most simplistic form is to help remove that uncertainty and prioritization crisis, right? Like what is the strategy of the business? It can't be 10 things. So less is more in that case. And then if you talk to Roger Martin, he's very specific about strategy and execution being together. Other thinkers, Ram Sharan and others, they think of it very separately. So, you know, for me, it's just more about setting the priority for the business and then being able to communicate in a way that people know what they should be doing every day and why and how it will impact the business. Yeah, because many people don't know what the strategy is and what's important, which you write a bit about. First, if you don't mind opening up the topic of the book, what did you become interested? Because this has come up a few times in the podcast. We had David Ulrich, for example, saying, hey, we spent all this time looking at marketing for the customer side, but none of those techniques do we use for the employee side. So if you could just unpack for us why you decided to begin this research. Yeah, let me start with a huge caveat here. I am not a people and culture expert. That is not my lane. I really grew up as a practicing sales, marketing, and customer service or customer success leader for startups as well as Fortune 500 companies. And then I spent a decade at Gartner as a research fellow really watching and advising around sales transformation, the impact of digital to the way brands engage and grow. So I was always on that side of the house. Growth is kind of where I sit. And then I wrote a book back in 2018 called Growth IQ, which was 10 Paths to Growth, which was a combination of my 10 years of advising some of the you know largest technology companies in the world, as well as startups and mid-sized businesses across all industries. And then my 15 years of actually being a operational leader and individual contributor in those spaces. Through the entire book of the 60,000 words, my very first chapter was customer experience. And I think of all the 60,000 words, I think there's only about 100 or 150 words that talk about employee. It was a big miss for me. And I missed it because it wasn't in my line of sight, right? I mean, I could talk about salespeople and marketers and people working in the call center, right, as individual employees. But looking at the employee experience in a more comprehensive way, that was not something I was paying attention to. And then I was standing on stage a number of years back, three or four now. I now work at Salesforce, obviously. And I said, I don't think it's a coincidence that Salesforce is one of the best places to work globally. If it's not number one, it's in the top five. One of the most innovative companies in the world and the fastest growing enterprise software company. I didn't think that was a coincidence. And when I said that on stage, In the back of my head, I went, note to self, could I prove it? Because I'm not the first to say, happy employees, happy customer, get those two things right, you're going to have greater growth rates. I am, by a long mile, not the first to say it. It's been said for decades by lots of amazing leaders. But when I went to go see if there was any ability to prove it, to see a direct correlation or causation, or what aspects and attributes of employee have the greatest impact on customer that then lead to greater growth, It was this vast emptiness of insight. And that's where I pointed my focus, if you will, from a research standpoint. Tell us about that, because you started these three research efforts, which, as I understand, are surveys, lots of input. And you had some unexpected findings that you tried to make sense of. And then what were some of the unexpected findings that you found that led you to zeroing in on employee experience? In the first study we did with Forbes Insight, we were able to show that brands that did really well on customer and employee experience had a 1.8 times faster growth rate on the CAGR side than those that did not. 
These were U.S. companies publicly traded only. And there was a reason for that. So we could get our hands on publicly available information. And then we did like 300 interviews of executives and asking them sort of about what we were finding to put some color around the raw stats that we were able to uncover. So before you go there, could you just explain what that performance differential is? Yep. So for a billion dollar brand, it was a $40 million impact. And so the CAGR on those brands that were doing customer and employee experience well was like in the low 8% range. If you didn't do those two things well, I want you to hear that you're still growing. Like if you were doing good on one and not the other, there was still a CAGR in the 4% range. So this is not you're not growing, right? Or you're negative or the world is ending. It's that you would get this multiplier effect if in fact you could get those two things right. In theory, I mean, that was the hypothesis. It was a very back of the napkin kind of assessment, which to any academic, they would go, (laughs) I don't think so. But it got us directionally going, maybe we have something here that we can investigate even further. What I love about what you're saying, if I'm interpreting this right, is if you had 8% versus negative 8%, you know, people could say the causation is the other way, right? Companies declining, people aren't happy, employee experience naturally is going to be a cause of their decline. But in both cases, we're seeing growing companies. Yeah. And what we also found was when a company focuses on customer experience, there was a slight lift in the key performance indicator or KPI for employee satisfaction. So if your customers are happier, let's just say calling into your call center, they're not yelling at your call center agents, your employees are going to be a little bit happier, more satisfied with their job. I'm oversimplifying. If you were focused on employee experience and were doing really well there, you would also get a little lift in your customer KPI, right? If you have more engaged and satisfied employees, they might be willing to say, you know what? I don't know the answer. I'm going to go get it for you. But instead of putting you on hold for 10 minutes or 20 minutes, I'm going to call you back. And you're like, oh, that's not going to happen. Like, they're not going to call me back. But then they call you back, right? Because they feel like their job has an impact and they understand how it does have an impact on that customer experience, that they are the facilitators of that great experience. They get that. And so you get a little lift. But if you do both right, you get that multiplier effect. So it's like 1.3 times and 1.4 times in those KPI improvements. You get both right, you see a 1.8 times improvement in growth. After that first study we did with Forbes Insight, we're like, hey, hey, we're on to something. And we thought it would be a virtuous cycle, as I just described it. If you start with customer, you get a lift on employee. If you start with employee, you get a lift on customer. And then this figure eight of infinity begins, right? One feeds off of the other and you get the momentum. Yeah, I've seen that represented as like a positive cycle and a negative cycle. Makes sense. Right? But we thought it could start in either place. So then we go down the path of a second study. We did the second study with Edelman. It was global. It was much more comprehensive. You know, it was thousands of employees and hundreds of C-suite executives across multiple industries and sizes, et cetera, countries. So it was very blended. We weren't hyper-focused in a particular spot that would skew this. And through that, we found a couple key points. One was nobody owned employee experience pretty much consistently. They would say they had someone who owned human resources. And some of it may be that that makes the assumption they know what the definition of employee experience was. You may be saying to yourself, but we gave that. We gave it so we could say, here's what we mean by employee experience. Does anybody own this in your organization? Could you give that to us here so that as we're listening to you, we understand what employee experience is? Yep. And what it's not. And what it's not, right. In this particular case, right? So things like compensation, DE&I, equity inclusion, super important. 
absolutely. Remit of HR, right? Really watching those things. It is not that. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about people, process, technology, and a little bit of culture, which you could argue those things I just mentioned was culture. But I tried to narrow it to the following statement. That moment that matters when an employee touches a customer. The products they design, the user interface for an app or a tool or a website, the instructions on how to do something, right? Then the people, the sales people, the call center people, your field service people, when they are engaging with a customer, like that moment that matters. If you have really upset field technicians and they're going into your client's house, a customer's house, and they're like dirty and they're messy and they don't care and they break stuff or they don't fix things and they leave, that's what I mean, right? So that experience when an employee meets a customer in some way. So what I'm kind of visualizing here is I check in on my app for an airplane and the experience is pretty fluid and easy, just a few touches. I go to the front desk and the person who's checking me in is typing forever into a computer. And I haven't peeked around to see what it is, but I imagine it's not nearly as fluid an experience as what I experience as a customer. Correct. And there's a reason for that, that we've spent, to digress just really quickly, like we, the royal we, we have spent billions of dollars globally on making sure that your experience on that app is top-notch, seamless, remove the friction, reduce effort, simple, easy, all the buzz terms that CMOs and leaders use. We want our customer journey to be pleasant and all those things. But the whole sort of findings of this work that I did showed that we have spent so much money reducing the effort for the customer in order to improve their experience. And unfortunately, the unintended consequence has been the effort for the employee has gone up and their experience has gone down, especially as we cross the digital industrial revolution, right? That fourth industrial revolution going into digital, we really pivoted towards making it easier for the customer and using technology to streamline the operations back office and to improve the customer interface with us as a company. But the middle layer of employee hasn't gotten as much effort. So nobody owning employee experience is lending itself to some of this challenge. So I think you said, just to make sure I'm understanding, is not only is our investment in the customer experience meant that customer service has improved and employee experience stayed the same, we're actually saying it's gotten worse because I would imagine they're offloading effort from customers to employees. Exactly. Mm, Fascinating. So I'll give an example. Many, many years ago when I was designing and selling websites literally in 2000, so I've been doing this for a minute, we were really working hard to get companies to think about, okay, you want me to not do mailers and yellow page ads and radio ads and TV ads? You want me to go on this thing called the World Wide Web? And so they would just replicate their brochure and put it up, if you remember those days. There was no commerce Then sort of commerce shows up, and then we worked really hard to make sure that a customer didn't have to click 10 times to get what they needed to have happen happen. So we worked really hard. It was sort of like the three-click rule from the UI interface standpoint, right? Like if in three clicks, they can't find what they want, do what they want, buy from us, it's a failure from a user interface. Now we've gotten to no clicks, voice, and one click. That's all about reducing effort. So now let's flip the other side of the coin. When I give that example, I will ask a room full of people who are employees at employers, right? Whomever they are employed by. How many of you can do your job every day in one interface? Almost never does a hand go up. And then I'll go under five and five to 10, more than 10, right? People start raising their hands. And so would we ever, ever ask our customers 
to have five or six tabs open to buy something from us. One to find the product. The next tab was to buy the product. The next tab was to enter credit card information. The next tab was to enter shipping information. The next tab was to confirm the order. We would never do that to a customer. Well, you might, but you wouldn't do it for long. You'd be fired if you had ever designed it or you'd be out of business because customers would never come back. Yet, we ask to your comment right there, which was so spot on, we offload that one tab from customer to five tabs to our employees where they have to jump from application to application. And if you don't believe that to be true, an enterprise has an average of a little more than a thousand unique applications in its four walls, whether you work from home or in an office. Enterprise, okay? And now there are some that we can carve out for finance and HR that should never be integrated. So pull those out for a second. But the mean of this is only 27% of those thousand applications is actually integrated. So who bears the brunt of that burden? Right. It's being integrated by humans clicking and typing. And switching between application. They bear the burden. And so employees are the keepers of our CX promise as a brand. You want to say we're going to be the best widget company in the world. Here is our values and vision statement. Here's our strategy. Let me just say to you that that strategy one pager in that vision and value statement and your tagline does not show up and solve a customer problem. It does not show up and sell something to a customer. It does not show up and design a product. People do that, not the strategy deck that gets you funding from your board. That's not who does it, right? Unfortunately, we've spent so much money on the customer that we have sort of left the employee behind. And so I'll give one stat down this path as well. 52% of the C-suite globally believe that the technology they're providing is working effectively which means 48% don't believe it's working effectively. 32% of employees believe the technology they are using is working effectively. So already we have a 20-point gap between the C-suite and the general employee base. But wait for it, wait for it. Only 20% of customer-facing employees agree that the technology they're using allows them to collaborate effectively, be more productive and efficient at their job. Wow. One in five, yeah. So let's just sit there for a second. All this money spent on tech to solve these problems, and it isn't the fault of technology. It's not lost on me. I work at Salesforce, so I understand. However, it's really about the people in process aspect of technology that is creating that, right? The process of, I need five apps and there's no integration. And maybe organizationally, I'm not built to collaborate or the there is no sort of incentives or KPIs that are shared amongst teams. That has nothing to do with tech. Like that is a cultural decision, a strategic decision. Like is your call center a cost center? That's a strategic decision. Or is it a success engine for your customers? Right. And so that is philosophical that an individual contributor has zero control over. Right. I show up, you tell me the tools that I get to use. It's a complete spider web. The only thing I can control is how I show up, but I cannot control what I do every day, what tools I use, what training is available to me, what opportunities are available to me. Do I feel safe to raise my hand and say something's wrong? Like we could go on and on. But that's why I called the book The Experience Mindset, because it isn't about a new role, it isn't about a power grab. It isn't about an employee experience executive sitting at the C-suite. This is literally everybody thinking that any time in the future that you make a decision today, tomorrow, next week, don't care, and it has an impact on the customer and you're doing it for the customer because you are customer-centric, customer-first, I want you to take a pause 
And I want you to say, hold on a second. What is the intended or unintended consequence to my people, to our employees? Are we setting them up for success to deliver upon this change we're making for customer in order to increase that promoter score or customer satisfaction? That we don't just offload it based on what you just said, which is a perfect way to frame it, over to our employees. And if I can get you to just pause and ask that question, then it's been a success. It's just that simple. Got it. Yeah, because that's exactly where I was going to go. It was like, okay, so do we need an EX person and where do they sit and where do they report? But I see that's why you took the PPT model and you added C as culture to it. And I guess that's what you're pointing to is that it needs to be like a culturally embedded mindset. Right. But you can't just say, okay, no one's paying attention, right? So the advice here is that you have a cross-functional team that touches people, process, tech, and culture, and an advisory board or employee advisory board that is really like saying everything you have for customer, customer journey mapping, employee journey map, customer advisory board, employee advisory board, net promoter score, employee net promoter score, customer effort score, employee effort score, right? Like get some balance in what we're doing. But this advisory board can be, all right, we're going to introduce video tech support for all of our customers because we surveyed the customers and that was the number one thing they said. They said they wanted video support for help. So the senior leaders go, well, we're going to deliver this because we're customer centric. And then they deliver it. And then the employers are like, hold on a second. Like I'm working from home. I don't have enough bandwidth to do video or I haven't been trained on how to use this tool or hold on, video calls are twice as long as phone calls, yet you're holding me to a metric that is too aggressive for me to be able to do video calls. I'm just using that as an example. So you check the box and said, absolutely, we nailed what customers told us from our customer advisory board and our customer survey, and we journey mapped and we looked across the competition, and that's what we're going to do. That's our strategy. But you don't think about the people who actually have to do the video calls and do they have what they need? So we need learning and development and training, IT. Then you need, okay, well, who's doing the processes? Do you have change management teams or sales ops or marketing ops or something like that? So now all of a sudden you see it's cross-functional. So yes, maybe there is an executive who is responsible for employee experience. So the conversation and the idea doesn't get lost. But it has to become everybody's responsibility, similar to what we did for customer 20 years ago. We have to do the same thing for employee. And it will go a long way, as our research found. Got it. Excellent. I know we're reaching the top of our time with you. You've given us one very tangible thing that we can do, which is to create an employee advisory board. I believe that Salesforce introduced an employee advisory board yourself. Is there maybe another tip you can give someone who wants to start adopting this mindset? Yeah, I would take your top KPIs for customer and ask yourself the question, if you have a correlating one for employee, and if you do, what is the score? Who's responsible for it? And can you start to map back? Wow, when we saw employee satisfaction scores dip, we saw our net promoter score dip. Huh, right? So look at what you're already tracking and then also... Is there executive compensation tied to customer KPIs and not employee KPIs? Because that changes behavior very quickly. So list out what your KPIs are for customer and do you have correlating for employee? And then the third thing I'd say is if you are surveying your employees, I want you to start asking much more tangible questions that are friction related. For example, single question. You just closed a ticket in the call center. How easy on a scale of one to five was it for you to close that ticket? One being super easy, five being really hard. 
like a return as an example. How easy or hard was it for you to process that return? There's a client I'm working with in Canada who it takes them 20 minutes to do a return for a customer on the phone. That would be a five just for returns. So now all of a sudden you can isolate returns and you can say, okay, we're going to journey map returns. We're going to look for how do we drive friction out. We're going to integrate tools one thing at a time. Don't boil the ocean. As managers, we always say, and leaders, I'm here to remove obstacles and to remove friction and to make it easier for you to do your job. Great. Ask one question. And every day or every week on your one-on-ones, ask them that one question. And that's what you start chipping away at. And if you do that, they also then start to build greater trust with the brand. They feel like, hey, you're asking and listening and fixing. And even if you don't fix, you're telling me why you're not fixing. So now I'm even more committed, right? Those would be the three things I'd say. Excellent. And then my last question, in addition to buy your book, how else can people learn from you, connect with you and follow you along this transformation that you've pointed out we need to pursue? Yeah. So if you read the book, I always love to hear back. Agree, disagree, what you're doing in your own organization, what's working, not working. Like this is what this is about is to continue to learn and to find ways when someone asks me, what are the things I'd advise that I can give examples, right? And so anything you're willing to share, I'm all ears. You can follow me on LinkedIn. I don't have any more connections, but you could follow. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, threads, Facebook, sort of everybody. I've got a podcast called What's Next with Tiffany Bova. I'm always open to hear and learn. So yeah, please keep in touch. Awesome. Well, thanks for all of that, sharing all of that here and on all the other platforms and for taking the time to do this research because I really feel like it is a redirection, a refocus that corporations need to make for themselves, but also for society and everyone who is an employee. So thank you so much for doing that work and sharing it with us. Yeah, it's all about doing well by doing good. Yes, it is. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our producers, Karina Reyes and Zach Ness, our editor and the rest of the team. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. I'm your host, Kaihan Krippendorf. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week with another episode of Outthinkers.